The Diplomacy Dojo is a weekly discussion led by your board brother about diplomacy tactics and strategies. Let's listen in on what our players are discussing this week. Let's begin. What brings you here today, Hunter? Well, I guess I thought of a few more topics. One other idea is um, maybe trying to break up an alliance that's going against you. I mean, this could be many different examples. Like, for example, maybe there's an EF. Like, I, I noticed this is one thing. Like, once an EF forms, like, if they're really if they're really committed to it, they seem to just keep going with it. Or maybe a juggernaut, or maybe just Turkey getting attacked by all their neighbors. So maybe just advice for breaking up alliances that are going that are attacking you. Uh, so this is very interesting. I think describing how to confront this in the early game situation is the easier one. And then we can talk about other situations uh, that might arise more deeper in the game. In terms of the tactics and how you want to move your pieces in a way that can help the other players realize that they should stop attacking you, that depends on the power that you're playing. If you have a power that is strong on defense, uh, such as, let's say, Turkey, you want to be judicious about which centers you risk and which centers you outright sacrifice as you're getting attacked because the centers that your opponents get control of will affect their strategic calculations. Like, let's get serious about it. The other players are care bears. That is to say that they won't break up their alliance for any reason. They are going to play it as long as possible until one of them backstabs the other, but maybe they don't do it. Neither of them are doing it. Neither of them willing to backstab. There might be nothing you can do. Other than uh, get some other players to bail you out, but I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But if the other players are willing to change sides, let's assume that they are. Let's assume that they are willing to change sides and that they are making a decision every couple of turns, maybe even every turn, about whether the time is right for them to change sides. What you're trying to accomplish strategically is make one of those powers, one power specifically, much stronger than your other enemies. This may induce them to change sides. If you have a power with some defensive position, you want to make decisions about what, what's expendable. For England, that's any center you might have that's not on Great Britain. So England's three home centers, you want to prioritize those usually uh, over anything that's further away. For Austria, I think this is very interesting. I, I would consider Austria's home centers to be a little more expendable than uh, Serbia. I think Serbia is so important to Austria's defensive position uh, that losing Serbia can often be the the death knell for Austria. So, like, if let's say you're Austria and Italy and Russia are coming after you, well, maybe you know Italy. What if I just give you Trieste? What if I just give it to you, dude? I'll let you have it. Just anything, or or give Vienna to Austria or something. That can that can sometimes be enough. As a central power, um, sometimes your your ability to to play that defensive game is not as good, and your way to break up the alliance might be to um, to try to suicide to one specific player and just start powering them up, even if it means giving up critical centers. Anything, somehow, anything you can do. Uh, as Austria, that might be, okay, I'm going to start supporting Russia's moves even while I'm giving away centers to Russia. Anything to make one specific player powerful can sometimes break up the alliance that's going against you. I think about those things often. I have not, I've never gotten a solo win from being as low as one or two centers, uh, but I have recovered. I have recovered from being as low as one or two centers. And it's usually because I played a really tight defensive tactical game and made the other players take my centers like 
those last couple of centers from my cold, dead hands. I, I, I kept blocking anything I could think of to prevent them from doing it. And eventually the situation developed where they had an incentive to, to fight or to backstab each other. So this leads me to my next point, which is although you could give up expendable centers really quickly in order to shake up the alliance, hold your last couple of centers uh, very dearly. Hold on to them as long as you can. And the longer the match goes on, the more opportunity there is for something to happen. Maybe nothing happens in 1903. Maybe nothing happens in 1904. But in 1905, you're still alive. You're still in the match. And, uh, you know, the other players have angered each other or the one of them uh, missed, missed their move, miss, misordered a move or, or something happened on a distant part of the board that changed their strategic calculus. Every, every turn that goes by gives you a new opportunity to turn the match around. And sometimes uh, you don't know what that will be. You have no idea of any specific thing that's going to happen. More time is beneficial. This is important because some players will promise not to finish you off if you become their servant. Sometimes this is called a janissary, where if you start doing everything they want, uh, they won't finish you off. I consider this to be a very risky plan because that will mean moving your pieces out of their defensive position somewhat. And uh, the other players might just finish you off or the player who you're listening to might just finish you off. Whereas if you hold on for dear life, uh, maybe time will just give the situation will resolve itself somehow in some unanticipated way. This is a better plan for powers with better defense. A country like you know Italy or France could potentially mess around for a couple of years. Just waiting for something to happen may not be so good for a country like Germany, uh, which has which is pretty poor on defense early on. Those those are all tactical things about about how to move your pieces uh, that can benefit you when you're dealing with a hostile alliance. Another thing you can do just outplay them if the other players are. Very good. If they're very wise about their choices and they are outthinking you, etc., they'll eventually bring you down. But if you put in effort into anticipating what their moves will be, either with sheer intuition and just trying, you know, getting a read on the players or possibly scouting out what their possible moves will be by conversing with other players. I mean, who knows? Hey, you're, you're, you're England and France and Germany are coming after you. But by the way, Italy and Russia know what France and Germany's moves are to a degree, let's, let's say. Uh, they could give that information to you. They might do it, especially if you are um, very discreet and don't give away how you have made these guesses. And uh, you could block their moves. You can actually prevent the other players from taking you out. I have played games where I have lasted for years years against a concentrated alliance that was trying to bring me down because I just made the counters to their moves. That won't go on forever. Eventually, they'll make the right guesses and and overpower you. But that is a way uh, to fight them. Uh, Some powers are better at this than others. But uh, I I have been, for example, France and fought England and Germany, uh, you know, until 1907 or 1908 without them taking me down. Another level to it is that you can look for a diplomatic chink in their armor, that there might be one of those players who's a little bit more easy to induce to change sides than the other. It could be that they don't necessarily trust their ally, or they don't trust players in general, or uh, they feel like they've, their position has become one that's very risky. So how, how can you instill the anxiety? I mean, sometimes they're just anxious and they're ready <laughs> to hear what you have to say. It can be something like, uh, let's say, 
that you are England and you're fighting a France Germany and you counter Germany's moves. Imply to Germany that you have countered Germany's moves because France told you what they would be. Doesn't have to be true. Oh, that yeah, that, that's 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 a good idea. It plays to their paranoia. I played a match once uh, where I was France attacking Italy. I just went all in on one specific guess. I had nothing. I had no diplomatic information. It was just me looking at the board and thinking about it, going, I'm really sure this is what Italy's going to do. I countered it perfectly, and it was a pretty big risk. And it let me capture, I don't know, Tunis or something. And so the thing is, Italy's moves required Italy to have coordinated with Turkey, which, which Turkey did do those moves. I actually wasn't talking to Turkey at all. We were not really on much of speaking terms. But I strongly implied to every player who wasn't Italy that Turkey had told me what the moves were. Italy got really frustrated and um, changed sides. That wanted to work with me, actually, the one who was attacking. Because it's, it just, it, it could, he, he was convinced that Turkey had told me what his moves were. It wasn't true. That can be very effective. Uh, and that sort of feeds into that other point of advice I gave, which is to defend yourself very well. So you can combine that with the, with playing up to their, their paranoia that the other, that you, someone might be telling you the moves. Another way to get at them diplomatically is to, treat them very differently. If there's one player who you want to power up, the, um, the player who you want to make seem scary, not the player who you want to become anxious, spend some effort talking to that player specifically. Get, get pretty chatty and try to cozy up with them, even as they're attacking you and saying, oh, it's okay. I understand why you're attacking me. It's not a big deal. You know, I mean, the matches last a long time and maybe there'll be a reason for you to change size and just keep talking to them and uh, talk to other powers but not really the one that you want to become scared. And make sure to emphasize to the other players that uh, you're chatting it up. Oh, we're talking all the time, man. I think I, think I can get him to change sides. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I can get him to change sides. He's, he's, he's talking to me a lot. The player who you want to be, the player that you're hoping in, in whom to paranoia, that could be enough. If they hear from everyone else, that the big player, the scary player, is talking with you a lot. That they make them think that that player is about to backstab them or is trying to change sides. So let's say you're Turkey, Italy, Austria is coming after you, and you do that move where you're trying to cede Bulgaria to Austria, and you're not talking to Italy very much, talking to Austria a lot. And everybody understands that you are talking to Austria a lot. That can get into Italy's mind space and be like, mm, you know, why is my ally spending so much time talking to our enemy? Yeah. yeah, that can lead to things. Players change sides. Directly telling players that they need to change sides, I personally find not the most effective in high-level games because most people, most diplomacy players are pretty tough mentally, and uh, experienced diplomacy players are very difficult to influence. And even though they, they know that you're trying to influence them and whatnot, so they have to come to the idea on their own. The greatest, most effective form of persuasion is for the other person to believe that it was their idea. And that's why I'm making these suggestions that are not directly stating, hey, you need to change sides. It is about causing the other player to think about things that would make them wonder if they should change sides. The more distant the connection between what you're, what you're trying to, how you're trying to influence the player, and the ultimate conclusion, 
the further away you are from outright stating it, the more likely you are to actually influence them, and the other player will not will likely not perceive what you're trying to do. Uh, this is important in diplomacy because when players are are too when they become too aware, it's too obvious what you're doing. And not only will they try to counter it, will give somebody an opportunity to counter it, but they may uh, defy what you're asking. <laughs> just. Just, just to do it. They don't want you to do what you persuaded them to do. Now, there are some players who may be persuaded by just trying to directly ask them to change sides. Players who are beginners in diplomacy are, in my experience, a little more willing to change sides because they haven't, they don't necessarily know what the idea of, is of the alliance or what it's going to be or what the consequences are of changing sides too much. That can be a little easy to do to just say, hey, you know, I'm, let me offer you a better deal. Uh, let me, uh, I'm more fun. <laughs> anything that they should change sides in a high level game of diplomacy you're gonna have to offer something really compelling to just outright get somebody to change sides for example if you are france and you're facing england germany so saying things like you know you're so dumb and this isn't going to work out for you and you're going to face like russia's going to backstab you this is all Germany's going to backstab you. I think I really think you should change. That's that is not very be very effective. But doing something like, hey, England, what's it going to take for me? What concession for me is it going to take for you to change sides? Is there anything I can offer you? What would it be? Maybe he says, I don't know. I'm not really thinking anything. Uh, but you know, you got any anything to offer? Uh, okay, England. I tell you what. What if I cede Brest to you? What if you take Brest with your fleet? And I just give it to you. Uh, is that enough for you to change sides? It's yours. You can keep your fleet there. You have it until, well, you know, whatever. Maybe England will do it. If England hears, wow, this French player is is bargaining with a very weak hand. That's pretty good. If France doesn't have breast anymore, then maybe Germany really is my biggest threat after that. And I should change sides. Maybe I'll do it. Something major like that. Something really big to get the other player to change sides. Let's say uh, you're Russia and England's coming after you and, uh, and, and Germany, and you want to try to get England off your case. You could say like, hey, listen, what if I were to park my fleet, the one fleet I have in the north in St. Petersburg and just leave it, just leave it there, St. Petersburg, South Coast. Would that be enough for you to change sides? England says, no, it's probably not enough for me to change sides. I want, I'm going to conquer St. Petersburg. All right, what if I straight up give you St. Petersburg? Will that be enough for you to change sides? But please take St. Petersburg with the fleet, not with an army. Would you do that? Some English players will go, you know, wow, if I, if I take St. Petersburg, Russia is no longer a threat to me. Germany's my, my biggest threat after that. Maybe I should, you know, change sides after I have St. Petersburg. So when you're, when you're dealing with a strong player, an experienced player, and you want to directly persuade them to change sides, you're, you probably need to combine it with some kind of concrete reason why they should deem the other player to be a bigger threat than you. And that's probably going to involve giving them some very serious concessions. And uh, they may not honor it. <laughs> they, may, they may still come after you, but at least you tried. I, I think that's really important to understand because I've played a lot of diplomacy and uh, I've seen a lot of players waste few minutes of their lives writing a message to me about how dumb I am and whatever. Like, I don't know, none of this, <laughs> this all, I, I know that I'm taking a risk by doing this. I don't think I'm dumb. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's probably not a good idea to say somebody's dumb. That's not no. good diplomacy. They they learn that they pick that up playing against inexperienced players because that that can be very effective. That kind of emotional pressure that can work against a player who is not hasn't you know it's their first rodeo, let's say, and they're like, well, I don't I don't really know much about diplomacy. Maybe they are dumb. That could work. That I'm not saying that that doesn't work forever in diplomacy, but in against an experienced player, that's very ineffective. But I think players try anyway because it's it worked for them the best. What other things are relevant to breaking up an alliance? Oh, okay. An ancient Chinese wisdom. Use far barbarians to fight near barbarians. Ah, yes. Uh, Tell me how you think it can be applied to diplomacy. Well, that's true. I mean, other countries that are farther away from you aren't your neighbors. You can convince them to attack one of your neighbors. How will that break up the alliance? Well, I guess if somebody who isn't your neighbors goes after one of the neighbors, they might be busier elsewhere. That's right. So for example, let's say that you're France. You're France and you're dealing with England, Germany, and you can convince anybody, Italy, Austria, Russia, doesn't matter, anybody to send an army into no man's land to start messing with Germany or maybe to attack. The fact that that army is menacing Germany may use up so many German units to block it that Germany cannot attack you effectively. If one of those players takes a German center, Munich or Berlin, Germany will probably have to spend two to four units to knock it back out again. That will, it will happen. Okay, meanwhile, what is, what benefit is England getting from the England Germanys? Germany's not doing nothing probably to help England against Russia or uh, against France. In that moment, as France, you say, England, look, I can, I can defend against just you. If it's just you and Germany's over here fighting games for Berlin, I, you know, you're not going to make any progress against me, but I would gladly support you against Germany. I'll support your army into Belgium. Or I'll help you get Holland or something like that. And some English players will just get bored or tired or whatever. They think that you don't feel like they're in a hurry. Or they didn't like the German that much in the first place. And they go, yeah, you know what? Sure. I'll change sides. Let's take out Germany while Germany's messing around. And so this is the the concept here is not so much that there's any specific power, but just that if you distract Germany by dealing with another player, Germany might become much worse or even useless as an ally to England in the moment for the time that that Germany deals with that. And there are similar situations you can have. Let's say that you are uh, Turkey and you're dealing with Italy, Austria. You've got Russia on your side, but it's not that great. If you can get France coming in there to mess with Italy, Italy's no longer going to be able to help Austria against you. It's just locking down. Say, hey, man, Austria, look, let's make a deal. I'll help you against Russia and Italy or something. Maybe it happens. And you get, the, uh, you get, uh, you get Austria to change sides just for, just for the ability to have progress. Some players really think like that where, mm, my alliance hasn't made progress for your time to change sides. Have any more thoughts on this uh, this subject? Yeah, I guess that's interesting. Also, I notice this happens rather often also when there's an English-German alliance. A lot of times some Germany players, apparently they just don't actually really do a lot to actually destroy France because they feel like England will stab them afterward or something. Mm-hmm. So, if you're, so if you're a French player, you could just point out to England, you know, hey, you know, Germany's not really serious about this. Right, and, and do, do um, defend yourself maximum against one of the players and the other players just don't really put up many defense at all, hardly. 
So uh, this could be something like, as France, completely lock down Burgundy, make sure there's no way Germany can get in. Thing. And meanwhile, England's like getting closer and closer. The German player may get more and more nervous. Ah! You know, England's going to start getting the benefit of this alliance while I'm just shut out. Or vice versa. It's not the same strategy, but it is similar to what you're suggesting of showing one of the allies to be useless. Yeah, that's true, because if they're not really helping. Okay, I have another question. So do you remember that article uh, that was shared with us, like, like uh, about England asking France for a bounce in the channel, unless they get Belgium? I, I'm not sure I remember it off the top of my head, sorry. There was this article that was shared. They said they, they thought it showed how the position of powers can be uh, related to the meta. Oh, okay. I think I, I think I'm remembering. Yes, but so I think in the article it says, you know, if England tells, you know, France, uh, you know, they they'd like to bounce in the channel or get support to Belgium. <laughs> I mean, would France be pissed about that? So let me let me let me repeat back to make sure I understand. England has issued a spring 1901 ultimatum: either agree to bounce me in English Channel or agree to support me into Belgium in autumn 1901. I mean, maybe they could say it more politely than that, but <laughs> in general. I think demands are not a very effective negotiating posture, especially not in spring 1901. I think it's better to talk in terms of options and in terms of consequences. So to say something like, hey, France, if I were to open to Norwegian Sea and North Sea, would you support me into Belgium? And maybe France will say, well, it depends on how things go. Okay, I heard you. Then open to English Channel. And when France says, hey, what the heck? You opened to English Channel. I said, well, you, you said that you weren't sure if you were going to support me to Belgium or not. So I said, well, I better be ready to support myself so that I can make my own supportive move into Belgium. Since you said you, said you wouldn't support me. Well, I didn't mean that you should move to England. I would have supported. No, I don't think so. You said something like that. <laughs> Or because if you, if you talk in terms of if this conditionals and things like that, then um, you get a sense of what the other player is willing to do. And some players might say something like that. Oh, if you open to the to the east, I unequivocally promise I will support your convoy into Belgium. Oh, OK, sick. So I would so then I would maybe I would open Norwegian Sea to North Sea and I'll find out real fast if that French player is a liar. Because either the French player <laughs> makes some kind of hostile move or doesn't support me to Belgium. That's valuable information. You know, the player, God, that player lied that much just to prevent me from opening to English Channel. That player will lie over everything. I don't trust this player at all. That's good to know. Whereas if they keep their word, you think, all right, well, this I could see myself being allies with this player for a long time. You know, they kept their word over something that was important very early on. There are similar, similar little things like... Uh, you know, you're Turkey and Italy says, hey, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to see you working with Russia. Okay, what does it mean to you for me not working with Russia? Well, I, you know, I think you should open to Armenia. Okay, but if I do open to Armenia, what are you going to do? Well, I don't know. It depends. I don't know. Okay, so you're saying whether I open to Armenia or not, there's nothing in particular you're offering to do or not. I'm not opening to Armenia, dude. You know, <laughs> oh, I have to do something so specific as attack my neighbor immediately. And what you're offering in return is, well, then I'll consider working with you in the future. You know, all right, I know this game. Italy, you will consider working with me in the future, whether I open to Armenia or not. 
every you will have to consider working consider working with me at all times. This is diplomacy. Players change sides and whatnot. Uh, you're not going to make up your mind about that just based on what I played. You know, I played diplomacy a few times, and Italy and Turkey worked together sometimes, even when Turkey didn't open to Armenia. That, that happens. Making specific demands of what the other players should do, I, I think that's unlikely to be very. You could, but you could say it another way to say, okay, you know, hey, do you think we could be allied? Yeah, I think I can see us working together. All right. What um what would you want to see from me to show that I'm I'm playing in a way that's consistent with the with our alliance? Oh well, I uh, you know I, I think you yeah as Aust- Austria you should be bouncing in Galicia, so you, your your idea is that I should bounce in Galicia and that'll sh- or at least move to Galicia, and that'll show that I'm I'm ready to work with you. Yeah, that's what I want to see from you. Okay, uh, good to know. But at least I learned what the other player might be willing to do for me in return. So when the French player says, like, I don't want to see you open to English Channel. Okay, but what what are you going to do if I don't open to English Channel? Well, like, so he, he, let's get more specific. I would ask for France. I would say, all right, uh, if, if I don't open to English Channel, then I don't want to see fleet in Brest. Can you agree to that deal? That I don't, I don't, op- I don't move into English Channel and you don't build a fleet in Brest. I won't build a fleet in London. I won't build a fleet in Liverpool. You don't build a fleet in Brest, and neither of us move to English Channel. Can you agree to all that? And if they say, well, no, I won't agree to all Okay. Good to know. Because if there's a French player who demands that you not move to English Channel, but is going to build a fleet in Brest in, in 1901, then now nah, I'm going to move to English Channel. Like, what, what, why, what, what are you doing for me? Uh, but if they'll agree to do that, then maybe not move to English Channel and find out. Because either the French player keeps their word and doesn't build in Brest, in which case, all right, well, I'm glad I uh, worked with them because they're pretty friendly. Or they build in Brest just as they promised not to do. And you learn, all right, so when they asked me not to move to English Channel, they were full of crap. All they wanted to do was just get me to not move there in 1901. And that tells you a lot about a player. Because a player who is willing to tell such blatant lies just to get you to move one piece a certain way is a player that cannot be trusted at all, in my opinion. Could you tell other players in the game that they're not trustworthy at all? They usually don't care, honestly. Uh, really? <laughs> most players ex- ex- know that you, you, everybody's lying to each other to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, lying over one piece, though, that's pretty, that's pretty untrustworthy. It's pretty untrustworthy, that's right. And they, because they could have just said, no, I, I, I'll make up my decision based on a lot of things they, they could have equivocated. They could say, I look, if you don't move to English channel, that's very friendly, but I won't swear to it. I, I'll, I'll think about it. And you go, okay, make your decision based on that. I'll, I'll, in, in, in high level diplomacy games, there are players who make vague things like, yeah, I'll consider working with you. And you're like, well, you know, fair. I, they, they won't make up their mind. And when the players make those promises, usually expecting to keep it. Here's a way that I think about lying in diplomacy, like specific lies. I'm going to do X, but actually I just do the opposite is um, those are a, the, the players believing your lies is a, is a resource that you burn out of. You, you can lie to a player a, a handful of times in the game, maybe before they just stop believing you altogether. Ideally lying to players, not at all until maybe you finish them off or go for a solo win or something like that. In my opinion, uh, the, the best backstab 
is one that the player can't recover from. To lie to somebody over just the one piece uh, implies that the other player doesn't play like this, that the player takes a short-sighted view that like what I use my diplomacy for is to influence players to do things this turn. And if that's how they think, that's a player who will just say whatever. They'll say anything they can think of. They're not terribly reliable. Now, I am such a player myself that I'll say whatever it is that I can think of, but it won't be just to get one center. <laughs> it won't be just to get one piece to move a certain way or other, unless that is like the game-winning move or something like that. Because um, I know that if I've manipulated players so blatantly and lied early on, I'm not going to get a position in the match later to be able to win. I've, I've already used up all my trump card. Not very smart. Uh, so then I, I infer from that that not only is the player ruthless, um, but also not very good. That is not necessarily, that's probably the worst, is a player who is not an alliance player and who is not very good. A player who is not very strong, a weak player who is a good, who's a loyal ally, that is the best possible ally. A loyal ally, but a weak player, great. Carry them all the way to the end of the match, backstab them and get the win. That's a perfect ally. And a second best ally is a strong player uh, because strong diplomacy players, although they tend to be ruthless, also understand they shouldn't just backstab their ally for no freaking reason uh, and mess up the game. But uh, a weak player who is also very ruthless, disloyal, they're weak and disloyal, they will backstab you unpredictably for things. Like, they'll get you both killed. You know, like, why? You know, what What was the point of all this? Now we're, we're just going to lose to that guy over there. What were you thinking, dude? And I don't want that ally. I see. I think England might be become a stronger country, though, if England players... I don't think they should make advance, but I think the idea of saying... Hey, uh, hey, France. You know, if I if I move east, will you support me into Belgium? Or if I if I don't move to the Channel, will you not build a fleet in Brest? Because they should get something in exchange. Yes. Like like the current meta now is just like most England players. They just they just expect to you know just move east without without anything in exchange. So it's like you know France wants to you know France wants to get three builds, build two fleet, just go after me, no problem. <laughs> I think that's very wise that if you're England and you're not going to open the English channel to extract something from France, even if it's just promises, then you will learn whether France is going to work with you or not. Because if the French player induces you to go east, agrees to give you Belgium or whatever, and then doesn't, that is a French player who is going to just relentlessly attack you <laughs> until you're gone. Because they were willing to burn, the reason why that French player was probably willing to burn bridges with you in 1901 is they had already made up their mind to attack you before they even, before you even said hello. Because that's the A plan for France for some people. Uh, let me Actually, let me raise this to a more general level about the value of getting specific promises from the other players. Is that you can get inferences about what the players are or aren't thinking strategically based on whether they're willing to make promises or not, and whether they keep those promises or not, even promises over small things. You may have learned or heard that in that good diplomacy players are, are talking to other players a lot, and they have relationships with everyone else on the board. And you can start getting information, the players telling you what about their intentions or even their specific moves. 
whether they fulfill those promises or they play consistently with your expectations or violate those promises all the time, that's generating information. Whether they lie or tell the truth, that's still something. Why, why are they telling me or not telling me? Why is it truthful or not truthful? And you can get inferences about what they're trying to accomplish, even if they would never outright tell you. So the idea of asking, as England, asking for specific promises from France is a wise idea because it's part of a bigger wisdom applicable to diplomacy of trying to get specific information from players that is either be fulfilled or, uh, or not. And then you learn about whether the players were lying or not lying. And if you just don't, if you, if they don't make specific promises, then what they choose to do with their moves, it's now ambiguous as to whether, what was the intention behind it. I really think England, uh, England players would be more successful if they, if they, you know, did this stuff with France and also probably if they stopped attacking Russia first. <laughs> I think so too. All right. Maybe I'll see you next week. All right. Have a good day. You too. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes. To learn more from your board brother and to participate in the dojo, visit brotherboard.com. Thanks to Loyalty Freak Music for the theme music, It Feels Good to Be Alive too.